week I want to talk to you about abusive language. Abusive language. As we read out of Colossians, looking at verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Abusive speech. You know, it's kind of a, a very straightforward thing, right? I mean, another translation calls it dirty language or filthy language, and you think, well, okay, you know, Nick, uh, just tell me not to swear and tell dirty jokes, and I'll go home. But as I read into this, I realized there's a greater importance with this verse. It doesn't just mean abusive language, okay, got it, check it off the list, let's move on. That there's something that the Lord wants to do, and I really feel that this is a place where the enemy can come in like a fox and can begin to spoil our vineyards. He can begin to take the fruit that we've been growing and being diligent to grow and begin to spoil it through these little things. So um, let's look at Ephesians 4.29. My first point is this. Don't be a basher, okay? Don't be a basher. <laughs> That's my new hip language, okay? Don't be a hater. Don't be a basher, all right? Don't be abusive in your speech. That's the number one point. It's very easy. Just don't do it. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. So it's easy to say, okay, don't. You know, check out the list of don'ts. You go through church. It's like, don't drink, don't swear, don't cheat, don't lie, don't whatever else have you. I mean, it's easy. You know, we just get the don'ts down. But there's more to it. There's a reason that we don't do those things. Because they steal from us. They steal the life that we're supposed to have. They steal the abundant life that we're supposed to have. So don't be a basher. Be a blesser. Be somebody who offers blessing to people. Don't be someone who is abusive in their speech, but be somebody who is blessing one another. Look at Ephesians, the last part of Ephesians 4.29. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement. So don't let foul or abusive language come out of your mouth. Instead, let encouraging words come out of your mouth. Don't focus on not doing this because then what comes after that? Okay, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to swear, I'm not going to whatever, yada, yada, yada. That's it. Well, you can go through your whole life and not do anything, but if you don't actively partake in doing what the Lord says to do, you're missing half of the picture. Amen? Go to the next chapter, Ephesians 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And I think this is probably the number one reason why most people are abusive in their speech. We all know somebody who has had abusive speech. Some of you have been abused by speech. You've been abused throughout your whole life or at a job or by your spouse. <laughs> Happens sometimes. And it's because there's a lack of thankfulness in our hearts. Amen? I think about the example of, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in a small farm town in Minnesota, and uh, I had this friend, and his dad was a high school principal. And um, every once in a while, I'd go out to his house, and his dad would be working on some old piece of machinery, because he was a principal. It wasn't like his full-time thing to, to farm, so it was kind of a hobby on the side. And so we'd go out there, and I'd pull up in the yard, and he'd be over there working on a plow or something. And it's like, as soon as I open the door... I step into the, I felt like I was in World War II, you know? It's like, 
bleepity 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 bloop 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 boop 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 and he's over there just railing on this steel plow or railing on this tractor letting words I've never even heard of fly you know I mean creating new words abusing the heck out of this piece of machinery because he was probably irritated by it you know it wasn't working well that's an example of a heart that's not very thankful is it it's like you stupid plow Good for nothing, piece of junk, you know, I'm never blah, 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 blah. Instead, you know, I mean, I don't expect to see this, him over there. Oh, what a great plow. He's so good to me. I'm so grateful for how you plow my dirt and do it in crooked rows. He's such a good plow, you know. (laughs) But if you have abusive language, you've been a subject of abusive language, more than likely the quickest thing to fix that is to begin to be grateful. That's it. Look what it says in Matthew uh, 12, 34. You brood of vipers, this is Jesus. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we've all heard this one, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, if there's not thankfulness in your heart, guess what's going to come out? Whatever is in your heart. So if you're angry at your six-bottom plow, that's going to come out of your mouth. (laughs) If you're irritated with your dog because they keep bringing fleas into the house... It's going to come out. If you're angry at your spouse and you haven't said anything about it, at some point, that's going to come out. Whatever is in your heart will come out. And Jesus says, you can't even say anything good because you're evil to the Pharisees. So you, can, you have to address the first part. Like I said, it's not just about, okay, I'm not going to speak you know, bad. No, you have to go deeper. The NASB says this, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So whatever is filling your heart, whatever is in your heart filled up, that's at some point going to come out, right? I mean, you think about, again, like the old, you know, cogity farmer or the old ball coach, you know, that you had always railing you or somebody at work always telling you you're doing a bad job or maybe it was your parents, I'm not sure. But that's because their heart was filled with ungratefulness. And we are not to be like that. The second point is this, salty spring spew stained speech. Wanted to give you the five S's right there, all right? And I know you already got them. Salty spring spew stained speech. Say that really fast. Salty spring spew stained speech. Tongue twister. If you have a heart that is full of something vile, it will come out of your mouth. So the place to check it is in your heart. Look at James 3, 12, uh, 10 through 12. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be, or sisters, can both fresh water and salt or bitter water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So if your heart is full of salt or bitterness or whatever you have, and we all get like that at some point, what do you expect when, you, when it starts pumping up? Oh, that was bitter. That was salty, you know? You ever guys, anybody ever gone to the ocean and it's like, you know, you see all these picturesque uh, movie scenes of people in the ocean and they're like, ah, enjoying it. And then, you know, you go to the ocean for the first time and you dive in and you come up, you're like, this is nasty. I just jumped into a salt bath, you know? It's like you get a little bit of water in your mouth, you're like, Phew. That's what it's like sometimes, isn't it? When somebody literally that's bitter and mean or whatever, and they say something to you, you're like, oh, man, just bitter, salty water all over me, all over my face. 
James 3, 5 through 6 says this, the message. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. You know, this is interesting how James says, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account. You might think sometimes that if you say something, it's just like, oh, you know, just say it, you know. There's not going to be anything that comes back of it. You're not going to, it didn't really do anything to anybody. Oh, I just, you know, said a word. whoop de doo Let me give you an example, okay? <clears throat> I was sitting at this kitchen table the other night, and um, <laughs> this is a funny story. Smile with me, sweetie. Okay, um, so we're sitting there, and my wife brings me a bowl of broccoli, all right? And uh, she had put salt and butter on the top of it. Salt, okay. And she said, you know, I'm in the middle of like reading the paper or whatever. She goes, hey, you stir the broccoli before you eat it, you know, because the salt and the butter is all on the top. And so I was like, uh, okay, you know, I'm not thinking, whatever, you know. And so then she comes back and I, I pick up a piece of broccoli with my fork and I'm about to put it in my mouth. And she goes, did you stir that yet? And I go, why? And then she goes, because I asked you to stir it. And I go, Why? W-H-Y, why? One three-letter word, and it lit the world on fire, okay? (laughs) I mean, I scorched it up, okay? The three, you know what I'm saying? It's like, all it takes is one word sometimes, and it's like, (laughs) So, you know, 60 minutes later, after we have a civil discussion, of course... The fire department showed up and, you know, put out the flames. But it was funny when I was reading this, I thought, that's so true. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. And we don't realize that at times, do we? Like the way that we say a word, you know, we don't know what's going on in someone else's heart. We don't know what's going on in a situation. And we just come in and say, that's dumb. And you just burned that person up for like three months or longer. I mean, I know people that literally, there's something that somebody said to them in junior high, and they're still hanging on to that. That person, as it says, you'll see this verse in a second, lit their whole life on fire, that word did. And to illustrate how quickly our words can literally consume something and burn up something good, I want to show you a video. This is of uh, wildfires last year in Central Texas. This is at Bastrop State Park, and it's a video I saw last year. Um, But go ahead and uh, show that video, uh, Veronica. If it will play. Yeah, just try clicking on it, maybe. Not working? Go back a slide and then go forward a slide. There you go. It might be broken. Oh, well, there's the wildfire. It's not working. Busted, huh? Okay, so anyway, what you see here is wildfire. And, um, okay, literally what happens is this, this clip is 50 seconds long. And you see the fire right here. It's probably about 100 yards. And it's pretty cool, but the fire's like leaping over itself. Just, and it burns up all these trees. It was pretty amazing. And it was going to make a great point until the PowerPoint didn't work. So, anyway, you can go to the next slide, Veronica. That's okay. Veronica, thank you. You give her a hand. I mean, that's, that's hard. 
The tongue sets fire to the course of human existence, the NET says. Think about this. How many times have you seen or heard or envisioned or whatever a a scenario between two proud men that are sitting next to one another, you know, and one of them says one thing, the other one says another thing, and the next thing you know, there's tanks outside shooting each other. How many world wars started like that? Probably all of them. Well, they said this. Well, then they said that. And then they said this. Literally, the tongue can set fire to the course of human existence. It's amazing that that much power is in this tiny little muscle. The NLT, like I said earlier, says this. The tongue can set your whole life on fire. One word can set your whole life on fire for 60 minutes or longer, as I found out the other night. Melissa was, was, was sharing about this, I think, about a month ago. Um, she's talking about offense, and she came up here and said, you know, I had an offense in my heart, and, and it was like I was trying to control my speech, and something just came out, and it was like a flamethrower, you know? You get those guys like mowing down the trees or whatever. That, that's what can be like sometimes, can it? You say something that's literally like, woof, and you watch everything just wilt, you know, away, and you're like, Come back, word. Come back. I didn't mean you to do that. You don't have anything to put on it. You don't have anything to put out the flames. So what can we do? What can we do about this? Abusive speech, setting your you know, family on fire, not literally, but through your words. Well, the, uh, today, if you don't know this, is uh, the Feast of Shavuot in Israel. And um, one of the things about Shavuot is receiving the word, in a sense. And uh, so my third point is to receive the word. That's, that's what you can do about this. You can receive the word of God. In Shavuot, it's, a, it's basically seven weeks after Passover, and they celebrate the end of the grain harvest. And, but one of the big things they celebrate is the giving of the law, the giving of the Torah from the Lord on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel. And so uh, there's a couple of traditions that go along in that. One of them is that um, they, uh, they basically stay up all night reading the, the Torah, adhering Jews do. Uh, but uh, uh, all night, the night before Shavuot. So they don't, actually, um, um, they don't actually celebrate the receiving of the law because they say they're always receiving the law, the, uh, the Jewish sages. But they celebrate the Lord giving it to them because it is, it's a constant receiving. It's, it, getting the word of the Lord is a constant receiving. Amen? And I, I, there was this picture that I found when I was, when I was looking um, up some of the things on Shavuot, and uh, you can go ahead and show it. Um, but I just thought it was funny. Maybe you don't think it is, but, you know, here's a kid waking up on Shavuot morning, and it's like, what did you get me, Dad? Oh, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, okay? It's just like, look how happy she is. Oh, you wrapped up the Ten Commandments and gave them to me. But, thank you. Appreciate that. It's funny you're like early in the morning, okay? When you're surfing around and you have too much coffee. You're like, that's funny. But like I said, it's customary to stay up all night and study the Torah. One of the other things that uh, is kind of a common thing is that they have breads and um, milk products like cheesecakes and special cheeses because it's said that this tradition originated from the Song of Songs, verse 4 and 11. Milk and honey are under your tongue, referring to the sweetness of the Torah as we partake. Psalm 19, 9 through 10 says, The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. 
They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Let me say this. If you're here and somebody has beat you up, used abusive speech with you in church, has beat you up with the Bible before, I want to just say I'm sorry for that because that is not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about receiving the sweet word of the Lord that is a redemptive story of how we messed up and we didn't deserve to be redeemed, but we were. And literally, the word of the Lord is sweet. It's like honey on your lips. You know, there's that old song, your name is like honey on my lips, your spirit's like water to my soul. Well, that originated from the Pharisees and the scholars, the Jewish scholars. They basically, they literally used to take and put honey on their lips to remind themselves of how sweet the Lord was. Isn't that cool? It's the opposite of a lot of times what we hear, isn't it? I mean, you come into a church, you see a guy on TV. I mean, there was a huge thing just blew up this week about some pastor in North Carolina being a meanie, you know, for no good reason. Maybe it was a good reason for him, but I just don't see the Bible spewing abusive uh, language. I see it giving correction and rebuke, but I see it coming from a father who is tender and loving. And so if you've never experienced the sweetness of the Bible the sweetness of the word of the Lord, I just challenge you to read it because you're going to find it really quickly. You'll be like one of these psalmists that says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is pure. And if we think back to Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, be imitators of God. So if we're to imitate God and God's words are sweet and pure, what, what, what should our words be like? Sweet and pure. Always sweet. When we leave places, when we see people, we should leave them with a sweet taste. Man, it was good to see that person. They were so encouraging. They were so nice. They they picked me up. They They were just so fun to be around. You know, because we all have people that, you know, you leave and you're like, man, I just feel like six liters of energy were taken out of me. You know? Just because, just listening to them talk, you know, wore me out. If God's words are pure, and we're to imitate him, then our words need to be pure too. Not just refraining from being abusive, but striving for our words to be pure, striving for them to be sweet. You know, there's there's a man that I respect most, one of the men I respect most. I was thinking about him this morning when I was praying. It's like, I cannot think of one time, and I've been around this guy a lot, in some pretty sticky situations. I can't think of one time when he's ever said, literally, ever said anything bad. And it's very convicting, but it's also very, like, it almost is unbelievable, you know, that somebody can walk so closely with the Lord that every time you're around them, they're so encouraging, they're so kind, they always leave you feeling like a million dollars, you know? Like, even some of the people I respect most, you know, you get around them and it's like, okay, that was an okay experience. But this, this person in particular, it's like, wow, yeah, I could go take on the world right now, you know? Always leaves me feeling a sweetness about the Lord. And I want to be like that. I want my heart to be filled with fresh water, not salty water, so that I can be like that, so that I can give freshness to people instead of bitterness, 
you know? So going back to Shavuot, one of the things that, uh, none of you probably know this, but Shavuot is basically the celebration of Pentecost. All right, let the cat out of the bag. Um, <clears throat> Pentecost is, means 50. So it's 50 days from Passover to Shavuot. So today we're celebrating Pentecost. I'm not wearing anything red. Stella is. Good for you. Um, you know, that's what, when I grew up Catholic, they always wore red on Pentecost and because it represents fire. And we, we think about Acts 2, right? So let's turn to Acts 2, and we're going we're gonna to read this here. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. We'll, we'll look at verse 1. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears him in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Liberia or Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, it says in verse 11. Think back to Ephesians 5.4. It was on the screen earlier, and I don't know if I put a slide in there or not. Foolish talk, this is not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. One of the easiest ways to be thankful to God is to retell all the things that he's done for you. Right? To just basically air it out. All the wonders of God. God, you saved me from this. Lord, when I didn't have anything, you provided for me. When I was down in the dumps, you spoke your word of love to me. You forgave me when I was a sinner. Just saying these things out loud, letting thankfulness come out of your heart. That's basically what was happening here, wasn't it? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. There was this thankfulness that was coming out and all of these other other people that were in Jerusalem were like, hey, that's my language, but those guys are obviously not from around here. What, what is going on here? Because the Holy Spirit was moving on them. He was coming down and moving on them. And if you remember, if these were strictly adhering Jews, which they were, Peter and James and some of these, they were probably up the whole night before reading the Torah because it was Shavuot. So they were literally full of the word of God. And they were so full of it that when the Holy Spirit moved on them, it was like, started speaking the wonders of God. Look at verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) It's like, look, come on, cut us some slack. It's 9 a.m., you know what I mean? Everybody knows you don't drink until 10. (laughs) We're luscious, but not that bad, you know. I'm just kidding. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter then begins to remind them, look, what's taking place right now was prophesied years and years and years ago. And he recognized it on the spot. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So the Holy Spirit fell on them. They begin to tell of the wonders of God on Pentecost morning. And they begin to prophesy. Well, it's easy to read this verse and to think, oh, prophesy. Okay, so they started talking about, you know, wheels in the sky, UFOs. They predicted, you know, uh, the fall of the, you know, Roman Empire or that the stock market would crash, uh, you know, in 1929. I mean, that's kind of the images we conjure up, right, with prophecy, is you think about a guy with a long beard in a trench coat standing somewhere and just makes, like, declarations, you know. Three days from now, you will meet a donkey on the road. He will be wearing white, and he will say to you, and it's like, what are you talking about, man? Are you drunk? (laughs) No, it's not even nine in the morning. (laughs) Prophecy is encouragement, okay? Let me, let me clear the record there. Let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, 14.31. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So you can all prophesy. You can all, you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So what's the point of prophecy? Instruction and encouragement, right? I mean, sure, there's times where the Lord speaks through something and it get, you know, he, he tells us some sort of a future thing. He's done that in the past through his word. But more than likely, it's just speaking an encouraging message that is true from the Bible. And I think I might have skipped over this slide. But when you receive the word, you're able to repeat the word. Amen? I mean, think about this. <clears throat> Yeah, the Bible's big, okay? And some of us are very good at scripture memory. Some of us are very bad at it. But I can tell you right now, the words that I receive from God, literally that are like, wow, the Lord spoke this to me, I can remember them and I can repeat them. I, I remember the first verse I ever memorized, Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Hebrews ten thirty six was another one. I, I, I took it and I plastered it on my shower. And every morning when I would take a shower, you know, it's like, reading Hebrews 10, 36. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So when you're full of the word, like these disciples undoubtedly were, because they were up all night reading the Torah, reading the law, the first five books of the Bible, it probably wasn't very hard for the Holy Spirit to just go, and then then just start speaking it out, prophesying, encouraging. And this is the point I'm trying to make this morning is that don't just refrain from abusive speech, but instead let your speech be fresh. Let your speech be encouraging so that your vineyard will be plentiful. I mean, who walks into a vineyard and is like, stupid grape? You know, my father-in-law is growing grapes. He has a vineyard, so this is pretty relevant to him. I've never seen him do that. Instead, it's like, you know, I catch him out there sometimes. Oh, good grape. He's so big. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sweetie, uh, we should have your dad over for supper sometime. <laughs> he takes it good, okay? I'm in the doghouse. <clears throat> <clears throat> but who goes into a vineyard and is like, that grape's dumb, quack, 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 you know? No. 
You're not going to foster much of a vineyard in anything if that's going to happen. There's not going to be much growth at all in your life if you're going to set your whole life on fire, if you're going to set fire to the course of human existence. But what if you go in and you aim to be prophetic? You don't have to be a prophet. Paul says, I wish all of you could prophesy. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 31, you can all prophesy. You can, if you're here, you can prophesy. All you need to do is encourage someone with the word of God. It might seem too simple, but really that's it. And if you want a a further study on that, um, there was a sermon preached here at the end of the year last year. I think it was at the end of December on prophecy. You can check it out on the podcast. Really cool. When we study, when we receive the word, we're able to repeat the word. And that's what this is about, is that when you're in a situation and it's hard and your wife tells you to stir the broccoli and you don't understand why, you say, okay, honey, I would love to, and your hair looks beautiful today. Instead of saying, why? (laughs) You know, as soon as I said it, I just felt like one of those grumpy old guys that like pulled back the the lazy boy and was like, give me a sweet tea, honey. (laughs) You know, I felt terrible. I had to repent of it, so I'm not perfect, all right? The point of prophecy is encouragement. The opposite of encouraging speech is abusive speech. So don't just aim, you know, the old saying, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Well, I know that's great. I think it's a good rule of thumb, but don't make that your goal, you know? I mean, I know people that if they didn't have anything good to say, they'd never say anything at all. They would never talk. And it's like, are you mute? Or don't have anything good to say. (laughs) Make it a point to have something good to say so that you can talk all the time. Wear people out with encouraging speech. How many of you have ever been around that person? I have. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, hey, and you're really, really being kind to me, but uh, I got it, you know? You're you're making me feel like a million dollars, but thank you, you know? Go encourage someone else now, (laughs) you know? I want to be that person, okay? (laughs) Let's look at Ephesians 4.29 again. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So again, it's not about not using abusive language. It's about being encouraging. It's about using words that are, that are they're good and helpful to others. Going back to James 3, 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can it's a salt spring produce fresh water. So if you're here today and you feel like you have a salty spring... It's a simple fix. Just ask the Lord to wash it out. Every once in a while, we all have to do that. Say, God, man, I, I don't know what is up with me. Lately. I just am like bitter and angry and tired and, um, you know, short-tempered. And it's like, I just need a fresh filling of fresh water. And, and how cool is it that This is what the Lord did on Pentecost, wasn't it? He filled up the believers and he filled them up with tongues of what? Fire. Isn't that interesting? So we talked earlier about how the tongue is a fire and who can control it. It can be a fire, but it can be a fire of good or it can be a fire of bad. And it's our choice. What comes out, what's burning up down here is what's going to come out of our lips. And you can have a fiery tongue that will bless somebody And it's like a zinger of blessing. You know what I mean? 
Every once in a while, you just, somebody says something to you, and it's like, <laughs> I've done this before. I just walk up to somebody, you know, and I just felt the, the need to, but hey, you know what, man? You're doing a really good job being a husband. You're doing a really good job at your job. And the next thing you know, it's like, <laughs> what did I say? You know? Nobody's told me I'm any good in the last three weeks, and I did this project, and they all hated it. And you really mean that? I'm, I'm doing a good job? Yeah, you're doing a great job. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know? That's like a, a, a tongue of fire for a good reason, right? Just burns right to your core and gives you the strength that you need. So receive the word and be filled. Don't just only receive the word because that's the beauty of walking with Jesus is that we don't just celebrate Shavuot. We celebrate Pentecost. We celebrate the fulfillment of it. Amen? The fulfillment of the feast. We don't just say, God, thank you for giving us your word. We say, thank you for giving us your word and for filling us with your Holy Spirit so that we can take your word and be empowered to live it out. On Passover, we were delivered. And on Pentecost, we were filled. It's sort of the simple truth. Sometimes we need a deliverance from this salty stuff. Amen? But it's not good enough to just be delivered from it sometimes. You need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And so this is Pentecost Sunday. What better opportunity than to ask God to fill us up? when churches all over the world are doing the same thing. I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit is still, this church believes that the Holy Spirit still operates today. He still speaks to people. There's still healings. People speak in tongues. I don't say that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not an initial physical evidence of it, but it still happens. There's people that still get words of knowledge. There's people that still get words of uh, prophetic words. But on a day-to-day basis, I just need the Holy Spirit so that I don't say why with the wrong situation on the end of it. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I would have much lo- rather have like spoke a prophetic word to my wife when she told me about the broccoli. Honey, I'm just going to tell you this. I sense this from the Lord. This broccoli is not very good for me. Uh, I feel like it's going to have a really bad, you know, the Lord just spoke that to me. I don't think so. That's not going to fly. I need the Holy Spirit to bathe me in grace, to put freshness in my heart and in my speech or originator down here somewhere. So let's stand. Close out today. If you're comfortable, if you're not, that's fine. We won't make you do anything here. If you're comfortable, just put your hands like this or raise them up. But in, in, a, in an act of receiving... I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to be poured out on us today. Not just because it's a holiday that's celebrated, but, but, but because he wants you every day. He wants to encounter us. He wants us to feel loved. He wants us to, to wash this abusive speech patterns out of us so that we literally won't let that fox come into our vineyard and rob us so that at the end of our life, we will be found faithful, that the old is gone and the new has come. Lord, we just say,